Just trust me in saying if those guys are going out there to compete, they're trying to win every week. So uh, first game, last game, game eight, they're trying to win. Other than preseason games, I've never been in a game in my life when you went out there not trying to win. Welcome back to a PeterPirates.com podcast, A Few Extra Bucks. I hope you had a great holiday. I am merely Mike Neighbors, and I want to preface this podcast by saying I don't take any joy in anybody losing their job. We're not making light of that. We're just bringing to Bucks fans the reality of what has been another disappointing season. And I will bring in our producer, Justin Thomas, and our Buccaneer insider, Roy Cummings, in just a bit. But first off, i got to thank our title sponsors. They've been with us for uh, about 10 months now. We really appreciate them. House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company. House of Brews and Lutes, Florida, on the corner of Van Dyke and Northdale Mabry. Sea Dog Brewing Company, two great locations in Clearwater and, of course, Treasure Island, on the beach, great brews, great food, great service. Check them out. Great title sponsors, cool title sponsors. I'm going to bring in Justin Thomas, who, uh, you know, I don't know if you're a big Sugar Ray fan, but I think that song is pretty appropriate for this Bucks season right now. I am not a big Sugar Ray fan, actually. But, yeah, I guess the one good thing about it being over means that next year is a whole new year, so maybe something will happen good next year. You're right, because our podcast will continue when the Bucks season is over and the season will be over. Obviously, on Sunday, we're going to keep going, uh, and the offseason is going to be uh, an eventful offseason for the Buccaneer franchise. Let's bring in Roy Cummings. And, Roy, you know, we're going to talk about Dirk Cutter. He, I'm going to preview this. He said something on his coaching show uh, recently, and I've never heard a coach who's in turmoil say something like this, so I'll tease that. But I said at the top, you know, I never take joy, and a lot of media people seem to, and people losing their jobs because, you know, these guys, yeah, they get paid well, but a lot more people are involved than Dirk Cutter. His family's involved. Maybe Jason Light's family's involved. You have assistant coaches and their families. It's, it's the holiday season. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not anything to make light of at all. No, <clears throat> excuse me. No, it's not. And uh, Merry Christmas to everybody and Happy New Year. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. I know I did. <clears throat> Blessed to have that. But no, you're right, um, Mike. I think it gets away from a lot of people who it, it's funny. I've never quite understood the fervor over Black Monday. Um, it's something that, you know, we look for. It seems, well, I say, shouldn't say we because I'm not a part of this group. But there's a segment of the NFL fan base and the media as well <clears throat> That, over, that, that, that begins to look forward to Black Monday a week after the season begins. Yeah. I mean, even before the season begins. Who begins the season on the hot seat? I've never quite understood why the NFL, more than any other sport, Major League Baseball, uh, NBA, NHL, uh, soccer possibly, although I don't follow it that closely. Um, but I've never seen a, a sport where uh, such a segment of fans and possibly media as well are more interested in who's going to lose their job at the end of the year than they are in the games themselves. I think, and I know that when your team is struggling, I guess that's what you're looking forward to is the change that's going to come. But I've, I've just never quite understood the fervor for it because as you said, you're not talking about one head coach losing his job. You're talking about possibly and more than likely 25 coaches losing their jobs all their families having to uproot, move. Um, you know, they've been in place for maybe only a couple of years, maybe four or five years. But either way, that's a difficult thing to do. And it's not just the coaches who are affected. The wives are affected. The, the kids are affected. Their extended families are affected. They're out of work. Now they've got to go, you know, in essence, almost like hat in hand, some of them looking for jobs, um, the uncertain futures. That, that's not fun. That's not what this game is supposed to be about. I, I honestly think that this game has gotten away from what its objectives are um, when it comes to this. And it, to me, it's the saddest time of year. It's not a time that we should celebrate and look forward to. It's, it's a sad, sad time. Um, yes, I understand head coaches nowadays make millions of dollars. Um, you know, if, if I was making what Dirk Cutter has made over the last three years, 
I could probably retire very comfortably based on the way I live my lifestyle. Uh, but it's not that way for assistant coaches uh, necessarily. A lot of them make a couple hundred thousand dollars and that's it. And maybe that's the first time they've ever made a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, maybe up until then they were making, you know, $95,000 doing something. Some of them are just kids, you know, and, and I think people need to understand I, you know, excuse me for the long answer, but I just think people need to understand that what you wish for and what you, you lobby for so hard, seemingly harder than you root for your team to win sometimes, uh, for people to lose their jobs, that it's just, it's never easy. I don't care who you are or what the situation is. Um, so I've never quite understood the, you know, the, uh, the excitement over the fervor over it, but, um, it's, it's definitely there and it's, uh, it's um, it's real. Yeah, I, I've never understood really people in general who wish bad on others. And, you know, we've said things like dead Dirk walking and I've said things like that in this podcast. But I want people who listen to this podcast to know I don't wish bad things on anybody. I don't wish bad things on especially, you know, people to lose their jobs. But the, 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 ta- the, the point is right now, you know, Dirk Cutter's likely going to lose his job. It's just the writing is on the wall. And to me. What's amazing is I heard his coach's show this week. And at the end of his coach's show, Roy, I would like to get your reaction on this. He said, I don't know if I'll be back or not next year, but I'll always be a Buccaneer fan. And I've never heard a coach who's on the hot seat kind of say anything like that. Did that's, I mean, does, I don't know if you heard that. I mean, when he said that to me, that was almost a guy who, who knows what's going to happen, but he's also been a guy this whole season who's never really addressed it, who's, who's, you know, who's done a really good job of just staying focused at the task at hand week after week. But to say, whether I'm here or not next year, paraphrasing, I'll always be a Buccaneer fan. I thought that was an interesting comment. I did hear it, and I thought it was an interesting comment as well. I thought it was a really honest comment, and I liked it a lot. Uh, I think it's, you know, in a lot of ways, and by the way, I'll say this, you know, every uh, there's a good section of the Buccaneers fan base that is anxious to see Dirk Cutter get fired, that they think the team needs to move on. You know, be careful what you ask for. Um, and we can get into the, the, the details on the field and everything else about that. But Dirk Cutter's show on Friday afternoons from 5 to 6 um, is, is for Buccaneers fans and media as well, Mike, and I think you know this, it's must-listen. Yeah. Because he's – first of all, he's asked – God, it must be, you know, 50 or, or 75 questions. Um, most of them are pretty good. Some of them are questions that the media has asked already, but we oftentimes get a little bit more detailed, honest answer. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's just the uh, atmosphere of, you know, kind of being back in his office or at his home uh, answering the questions, uh, you know, on, on the phone as opposed to, um, you know, being uh, in a situation where he's uh, in a press conference. So, I mean, but he, but he gives excellent answers. And, you know, the thing is, I'm not sure that the next uh, coach will even have a show like that, that he'll be that honest with his answers, that he'll, um, you know, afford fans the opportunity to ask him questions directly, listen in to the answers. Um, I, I think Dirk should be commended for, for doing that, number one. And, um, you know, back to the, the answer, again, I think it was honest because I think, yeah, look, he knows the situation. He knows that he's, in essence, failed as a head coach here. Um, but I think I also get the feeling that he's also kind of comfortable with it. You know, I've, I, I sometimes liken Dirk Cutter's situation as the head coach of the Buccaneers to Donald Segretti's situation with President Nixon during the Watergate wow. uh, situation. <laughs> the reason I say that is Donald Segretti was a kid just out of, out of college, a lawyer, and somebody came to him and says, hey, you want to go work for the president of the United States? And what would you say if you were just a kid out of school, a, a, law, a, a law student, and, and you had that opportunity? You certainly wouldn't turn it down. Now, Dirk Cutter's been around for a long time, a head, a, a head coach in college, and then a long time, uh, obviously, uh, offensive coordinator, very successful. And all of a sudden, the Buccaneers come to you and say, hey, you know what? You've done a heck of a job as our coordinator. You want to be our head coach? We're going to we're going to quadruple your salary. We're, we're going to give you a good shot at it. We're going to promise you two years at least. And what would you say? You you wouldn't say no. Yeah, but so, here's the thing. I love, I love the range with the Donald Segretti. That's that's exceptional. 
But isn't that more of a Raheem Morris thing? Like Raheem Morris was just kind of happy to be there. I mean, Dirk Cutterroy, that guy, he's been a head coach in college. This is, I mean, he's been around to me. You're right. You're right. But I think he also realized, but you're right. Raheem Morris would have been an easier, a better analogy, but I I still think the, the, it's valid because again, they came to, it's not like he was necessarily lobbying for it. He was, he was going to get an interview for a couple of other jobs. Maybe, you know, there's this belief out there that Dirk Cutter was a hot coordinator at the time. And he was fairly, he was a hot coordinator. I think San Francisco was going to talk to him, but that's about it. The Glazers were afraid they were going to lose him and they wanted to maintain continuity. He'd earned the opportunity to stay and they decided to make him a head coach. Again, if you're given that opportunity, you're probably not going to say no. He probably thought, look, I think I've got, I think I've got a little bit better, you know, understanding of what it takes to be a head coach. Now I'm going to take this on. I hope it works out. And you know what? In the first year, it seemed like it was going to work out. Second year didn't work out so well. Third year, you know, again, I sometimes wonder if he really got a fair shake at it because, you know, he didn't have the quarterback. But then, obviously, you know, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick got things going. And, then, you know, he just didn't have a defense. It just didn't. And it, so it didn't work out. You know, it didn't work out. But I don't uh, – it's not like it's not like he lobbied for the job or anything like that. It was handed to him by the Glazers. And, again, I still think the biggest problem here is that the Glazers don't know how to pick head coaches. That's the problem here. They know how to – you know – the Bucs had one darn good coordinator in Dirk Cutter. He's not a head coach, and I, my, the point I'm getting to is a long answer. I think he's comfortable with the fact that he knows now, you know what, I'm not a head coach. I know what I am. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an offensive coordinator and a darn good one, and if I want to keep working, I can probably keep working as that, college or pros. But uh, I'm also at a point in my life where, you know what, if I retired and, and went back to, you know, Puscato, Idaho, I, I'm good. And I think so. I think he's actually kind of comfortable with his career. Interesting. Donald Segretti, for the record, still going strong at the age of 77 years old. Just for you, PeterPyrus.com. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I want to get to Dirk Cutter, what he said this week about not knowing if he's going to have a job in a couple of days. Here's what he had to say. It's challenging, but but again, that's just, it comes with the territory. You know, it's... Uh, you know, it's. I'd say it's it's challenging on on uh, players and coaches, but especially on their families. I mean, the guys that come to work every day, you know, they're in it and they're talking to other guys that are in it. But you know, the the, the wives, the kids, uh, you know, schools, that kind of thing. That's uh, that's upsetting, and it's uh, you know, it's if you've ever been in that position where your future was unsettled. I mean, it's it's just not the most comfortable feeling. But it also, you know, we picked it, right? We picked the profession. One thing I'll always appreciate about Dirk Cutter, I'd love to have a beer with the guy, frankly. He seems like a really good guy. And a lot of these head coaches, they have a lot of layers to him. I've covered Sean Payton for 13 years. And if you just watch Sean Payton at a press conference, you'd think he's the most drab guy in the world. But away from all that, I mean, he hangs out with Kenny Chesney and Jimmy Buffett. He's actually a really smart guy, likes to have a lot of fun. And a lot of these guys are that way. They're different than what you see on the sidelines or what you see at a press conference. But one thing I always take from Dirk Cutter is he was always pretty frank, whether it was about his players, whether it was about the opposing team. And you saw there whether whether it's about his future, Roy. Yeah, again, he's always been very honest. I mean, it's one of the reasons that when he first came on as head coach, the media in particular was very excited because his press conferences were uh, must-see. Uh, as, as a coordinator, because he was so honest and, and he was a little and he was fresh. You know, he said things that we didn't normally hear. He didn't always spew out the normal cliches. That's changed a little bit now as he as he is the head coach. But um, that's to be understood. I mean, you kind of you know understand that. But um, you know what he said there is right. He, he echoed exactly what I said at the beginning and what you said, Mike. That you know it's not just the head coach and the other coaches that get let go here. It's uh, Families are uprooted and uh, there's a lot of upheaval and it's, it's a difficult time. But again, that's, you know, that's him being honest and he's right. I mean, this is what you buy into. Um, it doesn't make it any easier. You know, I understand coaches are hired to be fired. Never quite understood, believe that that's the right thing to do because let me tell you something. If you hire a coach with plans on firing him anytime soon, then you hired the wrong guy. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know who gets it right. People like, you know, in Pittsburgh, they got it right. The Roonies get it right. They keep their coaches for a long time. And you know what? And people in Cincinnati, you know, Paul Brown, a junior, 
he's got it right. I, I understand that Marvin Lewis isn't the best head coach and the, the Bengals have probably underachieved at times. But you know what? You don't hire a coach to fire him. You hire a coach to, to build a championship caliber team and get you into the playoff hunt. You know, and, and, and the Eagles did it for a long time with Andy Reid. And now the, now the Kansas City Chiefs are benefiting from Andy Reid. And the Eagles, yeah, I understand. They won a Super Bowl. But uh, might have been lightning in a bottle. I, I, I see that they're close, but uh, you know, and I even give Jerry Jones a little bit of credit for hanging on with uh, with uh, with Garrett with Garrett because um, you know at the, at the end of the day, uh, you hire a coach to, to build a to build something. Um, you guys know about it in New Orleans, where through three seven and nine seasons, they said no, no, no. Sean Payton is one of the best we have, and and I'm I still think there's a possibility. That could happen in Tampa, that they may think, you know what? No, 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 no. You know what? Ron Rivera had some tough times, and they stuck with him. And they're probably happy about it. Maybe not this year, but overall, they're probably pretty happy. Certainly New Orleans, a perfect example of how it's not always going to go your way. You're going to have rough seasons. And you have to kind of, you know, wade through that and not not make a knee-jerk reaction and just decide every time it doesn't go your way that you bring in somebody new. So um, I still think there's a possibility their cutter sticks around. Uh, based on the the fact that uh, it's worked in Dallas, it's worked in uh, New Orleans. Uh, I think it's worked for the most part in Carolina. Uh, we know it's worked in uh, uh, in Pittsburgh and obviously New England. Well, I, I think a big reason he won't stick around is Jameis Winston. I feel like a big reason he was hired was because of that continuity with Jameis Winston. And I just you see what has happened this season. And it's not Dirk Cutter's fault in large degree. I mean, Jameis Winston, another mistake off the field. Then he lied about it. Then he suspended. And last year, he couldn't help the injury. Um, but but this year, it's been different. It just it seems like Jameis has been off. And, you know, he came back and he, and he, he played a couple good games after being benched. But, you know, they didn't win down the stretch to save Dirk Cutter. They didn't do the things, I think, that they needed to to save Dirk Cutter's job. And so now let's talk about Jameis Winston. And before I get to Jameis Winston. Well, hold, you know, on, hold on. Mike, I, I, I know you want to move on, but I want to say one more thing before we give up, get, up, get, get off the Cutter thing. One of the reasons I think Cutter could stay is because I think universally the belief is Dirk Cutter will get a job if he wants a job, more than likely as a coordinator, possibly NFL, maybe college, but he'll get a job. And the belief is that Todd Munkin will get a job. In fact, a lot of people think Todd Munkin – is going to be a guy who gets interviewed for maybe even a head coaching position somewhere. Probably won't get it, but he'll probably get interviewed, uh, possibly for a head coaching job. Certainly he'll, he'll move on and become a coordinator somewhere. If you're getting rid of two guys who, by the way, are the architects and play callers of the most potent offense in, in Buccaneers history, which, by the way, is breaking the records that Dirk Cutter set his first year here as coordinator – if you're getting rid of those two guys, knowing that they're going to get jobs elsewhere, why would you give them up? Just something to think about. Well, I would give, give it up because I think sometimes the numbers are misleading. I think, yes, they put up the best passing numbers, and yes, they put up the, you know some of the best numbers in the league. But if you, look, if you really look at the numbers, the teams that have put up numbers comparable to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Kansas City Chiefs, the LA Rams, they've scored a lot more points, Roy. And I, I think that comes down to coaching, not getting it done in the red zone, not converting when you really need to, not making the plays you should. And, yeah, those guys are hot coordinator candidates. But let me ask you this. I'll turn turn it back if we we'll table Winston for a second. They get 9-7 and seven, you know, record, the first-year cutters in there. And since then, it hasn't been good. I know you've had Jameis drama and, and all of that, but they haven't been good since then. Why is that? No, you're right. I, look, I get it. I'm, I, 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 and I'm with you right there. I, my guess is that my, I, my belief is that there is a at least an 80 percent chance, probably a 90 percent chance, that Dirk Cutter is fired and that the whole staff is let go. Um, the, the question I, I just, the reason I, I would hesitate if I'm the, if I'm the Glazers, is that look who's out there to replace them. Mike McCarthy doesn't want to be in Tampa Bay. Okay. Um, I doubt that Jim Harbaugh is going to be available. I doubt that John Harbaugh is going to be available. Um, you're looking at guys like Vince Fangio. Okay. Look at what happened in Detroit. They fired a guy and they decided to go with Matt Patricia, another hot coordinator. Okay. Well, how good are the lions? Not that good. All right. Um, 
you know, Josh McDaniel is considered to be the hot coordinator now because there aren't really a lot of hot coordinators. And Josh McDaniel, I think, was like Raheem Morris, given a job too soon in Denver, handed a little bit of a, a difficult hand because he, he had to deal with the Tim Tebow situation. Um, so he had to try try to make a court, uh, an NFL quarterback out of a college quarterback. And let's face it, that's what Tim Tebow was, a college quarterback. So he had a little bit difficult uh, hand he was dealt there. But again, these are the these are the guys. I saw a, a list the other day of the top five candidates for head coaches, and I didn't see a name on there that I was impressed with. I really didn't, and that included Mike McCarthy and Vince Fangio and, and and a couple of you know a couple of other coordinators. You know Jim Schwartz. I'm like, wait a minute, the, retreads guys who've been given the shot, who were a hot coordinator, got a head coach's job, it didn't work out, and they moved on. If all you're doing is getting another dirt cutter, then maybe you ought to just stick with the dirt cutter you have. Again, I I I, I don't think that will happen. I, I understand if it if it doesn't happen. I'm just saying, if you don't have a uh, if you know you don't if you're not sure you have a better option, maybe you should just hold on just a sec. Again, I look back at the situation. I I, I just think New Orleans is a perfect example. Three straight seven and nine seasons. How could anybody be happy with that? You had a Hall of Fame quarterback with a Hall of Fame offense, and by gosh, uh, you couldn't win. And all of a sudden, the last couple of years, it's been a lot different. And you know why is it different? You finally figured things out on defense. The NFL is gearing becoming more and more offensive oriented. The Bucks have that part figured out for the most part. Yes, they have to be a little bit better. There are some things that have to be worked on. Every team has issues. But at the end of the day, I think this team is a defensive coordinator and a little bit of defensive talent away from being contenders. I don't know that it's necessarily the head coach. The players have not quit on this head coach. So I think that's important too. Well, I think the difference in New Orleans, though, is Sean Payton won a Super Bowl and then had some really good years after that Super Bowl. Dirk Cutter's never made the playoffs. Dirk Cutter has done squat as an NFL head coach. I mean, he's had one winning record, and I said everything in, initially in this podcast because I don't want anybody you know, to lose their jobs, and I'm sensitive to that. But I feel like Dirk Cutter deserves to lose his job. I really believe that. I, I just feel like this team, what looking at this season with all the weapons they have on offense, and frankly, I know the defense is a mess. And I know they've had injuries, but Roy, everybody has injuries. Everybody deals with the things the Bucks have. This franchise, I don't really like moving forward. <laughs> Deshaun Jackson, I don't believe, will be here next year. Um, I don't know if Gerald McCoy will be here next year. I don't, I just, I don't know. Dirk Cutter hasn't given me a lot of hope moving forward. He hasn't. Like, I, I think you need some new ideas. I, I think he needs a new voice in Jameis Winston's ear, perhaps. I just think it, the message is stale. But to your point, they haven't quit on it. They haven't. They keep playing hard for him. I just don't see anything uh, positive moving forward here. I just don't see it. I agree with everything you're saying. And, and that's why I believe he, he probably will be fired. And if he is, I cannot argue with the decision to let him go. My concern is, what are you bringing in to replace him? To me, that's the bottom line here. I understand that people want to let him go. He hasn't done the job. It's been a disappointment. Hasn't worked out. Um, and all, I understand all that. My concern is, what are you bringing in? If the Buccaneers can somehow, if they've got some secret deal set up where they're going to bring in, you know, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame or something, Nick Saban, who got, you know, who knows? If, if they've got some kind of strange thing like that set up, another – you know, something else where, you know, if they're going to cut some deal and trade for, you know, God knows who, uh, you know, like they did with John Gruden, okay. Or if the plan is to bring in, as we've talked about many times before, a president of football operations, you know, whether it be a Tony Dungy, a Rich McKay, somebody like that, a Gil Brandt perhaps, although I think Gil's a little bit beyond, you know, um, you're going to bring in somebody like that, uh, you know, okay, I'm in favor of that. Um, I just, but if the, if the game plan is to just go out and get, you know, Vince Fangio or something like that, I just, I just, I just, my guess is that three years down the road, you're going to be right in the same place and nothing will have changed because that's what they've done over and over and over again. The, the Glazers cannot pick head coaches. They, they're one, in my opinion, they're one for five. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And 
And here's here's a name for you. I, I love the football life documentaries in NFL Network, man. If, if you're a football fan, I mean, NFL Films, there's, there's no better entity than NFL Films, and they produce these things. Here's a name for you. I saw a football life documentary on this man, and he didn't rule out returning. How about, here's my wild card, guys, Bill Cower. I love the idea. My concern is how attractive is Tampa Bay? You know, that, that's, and that's something yeah, that's have to think about. Yeah. Because if you're Bill Cowher and you want to coach again, you're going to have, or, or even run an organization, you're going to have more than one option. It's not like the Bucks. you know, seven teams, six, seven, eight teams are going to fire head, head coaches. Um, you know, uh, who, who are you going to get? Uh, you know, are you going to pick Tampa Bay or are you going to go to Jacksonville where they're a little bit more ready, perhaps, maybe just a quarterback away? You know, what are you gonna, who are you going to go to? Uh, are you going to go to Cleveland? You know, is Baker Mayfield impress you that much? I don't know that Tampa's that attractive. A lot of people say it's not. I think it is because I think Tampa's close. I really do. I'm a believer that there is some talent here. Yeah, my thing with Bill Cowher is he hasn't ruled out returning. And to me, he is one run away from making the Hall of Fame. To me, he doesn't have the Hall of Fame resume. He's a little short. He's got one Super Bowl, a lot of championship appearances. I think uh, one more run in him would get him there potentially. I'm kind of mixed. I kind of agree with you. I think there are some pieces, but boy, there are a lot of holes in this football team, a lot of unproven players, a lot of young players. I'm not sure if they're going to get any better. You know, Brent Grimes is done. Uh, Gerald McCoy, I'm not a big fan of his moving forward. Deshaun Jackson, a lot of, a lot of, players that we pointed to before the season that we thought were big parts of this team aren't going to be moving forward. I do think the one attractive part of this job is you're going to have a lot of say potentially, and there's a lot of room to really make your imprint on this football team, which begs the next question. Does Jason Light return, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. It it comes down, look, Jason Light's already got a contract extension for 2019. Um, the Glazers are certainly not afraid to pay money to somebody that's not working for them. They've done it before. Right. right. So, you know, so there's that. I Look, I honestly think Jason Light has done a pretty good job of building this team. Jason Light is the one who put together this, this passing offense, okay? He's the one who put together the offensive line that everybody at the beginning of the year thought was going to be really exceptional, and maybe it just hasn't quite played to that level. Um, it's also, again, it's an offensive line that's asked to do a lot of stuff that other offensive lines aren't, you know? The Bucs have this five, seven step drop thing. We've gone into this before where the offensive line is as, as a whole, not just Donovan Smith, the left tackle, but the whole line, you know, and look, I think uh, DeMar Dotson has probably played his best football. Caleb Beninock, you know, that's a hole that they've got to fix. They know that. That's why they drafted Alex Kappa, but Kappa has been a little bit slow to come around. Um, probably not a surprise based on where he's coming from, but you know, again, fans, Fans see a guy, you know, and they, they like him for some reason, and they think he can just, just step in. It's not that simple. But, no, I look, I, I think Jason Light's done, done a pretty good job. Um, it's quite possible he sticks around. Um, you know, the overwhelming belief when he uh, picked Dirk Cutter as the coach the last time around was that Dirk Cutter should be the coach. He, he'd done a great job with the offense. He was doing a great job with Jameis Winston. So I would I would trust Jameis – I would trust Jason Light to pick uh, – the next head coach, I would. Um, I could see him sticking around. I think he's done a pretty good job. Look, has he hit 100% in free agency? No. But I don't remember anybody being signed in free agency where people said, what are you doing? What a waste of time that is. got to be kidding me. Don't you know what you're doing? I, I don't remember that. I, I heard it on draft day, but I think a lot of the draft picks have worked out too. And when you talk about the draft, again, you have to – people. I mean, everybody's everybody's worried about Adam Humphreys. More people want Adam Humphreys here than want Deshaun Jackson here. Okay? No Let me tell no you. Doubt. I'll raise my hand for that one. Right. Well, okay. You know what? That's Jason Light and his scouting staff's ability to find talent that just, you know, that that is that everybody else basically overlooked. That's a guy who went undrafted. Okay? Same, same as Peyton Barber, who's had a decent season. Not a good one, but a decent season. Um, you know, so, I, look, I think – that, uh, that, that Jason Light has earned the opportunity to stick around. And look, I don't think he missed on Jameis Winston either. I mean, who? I, mean, I get this asked ask this question a lot. Who would you rather have, Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota? Well, I'll take Jameis Winston because I can work with, with a guy who's on the field. I can't work much, much with a guy who's hurt all the time, okay? And by the way, 
if the Titans uh, make the playoffs this, this year, it ain't because of Marcus Mariota. I think he's lost his last four starts. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, I don't think he's done a bad job, Jason Light, of building this football team. There was a reason two years ago that everybody thought this team was uh, the hot young darling and uh, a reason that all Bucks fans uh, thought it was going to be a bounce-back season this year. It didn't work out, but um, that doesn't mean that it, it, the talent isn't there in a lot of places. Well, I would love to know what Mark Dominic thinks about our discussion because he had far less money and far less opportunities to build a team than Jason Light, and they've had the same amount of time, and their record is right on par. Jason Light does have to feel good about Vita Vea playing well last couple games, kind of quieting Derwin James being a pro bowler in San Diego. But my whole thing is I think Jason Light's future is predicated on who they bring in. If they bring in a big name like a Bill Cowher, Jason Light's gone because he's going to want control. He's going to want to be that guy. I, I think, I mean, I, to me though, it's just, I agree with you. You got to have a better plan in place. If you're going to get rid of cutter, you got to have that guy that you know is going to be a big splash because if it's not, it's you're looking at another coach and another rebuilding process and just the same old, same old. And let's face it, Roy, in this market, the lightning continue to be the deal, right? The bucks haven't been the deal but the fan base wants them to be the deal. They want them to be – they want to embrace them, but this franchise has given the fan base nothing to embrace right now. Well, you're absolutely right. They, they have wasted the opportunity time and again uh, to, to, you know, to really show what they're capable of. Look, it's, it's typical. I mean, the Bucks, you know, earlier in the year, they won two on the road or something, came home, opportunity to, you know, to, to, to show everybody what they can do, and they, and they laid an egg. I mean, it just – it happens all the time with this franchise. They go nine and seven. They're the darlings of the NFL. Two years ago, everybody's talking about them. Jameis Winston is the guy, and they go out and they just don't play to the level that they're capable of. And you know, it's it's odd how it keeps happening. No matter the coach, no matter the the, the roster, it just keeps happening. Uh, look, I don't think you know. I don't think the Glazers have you know have that much of a of a thumb on the scale to, to make to, for that to be the case. But, you know, it is the one common denominator, but they're not going to sell the team, nor should they. Um, it's just odd how this franchise now, since uh, since Tony Dungy, really, I mean, I understand Grant and John Gruden won, but even since John Gruden's second year, I mean, John Gruden's second year, I mean, we, everybody thought that team could have won three Super Bowls. And John yeah. Gruden's second year, it was it was more of what we've seen this year a big disappointment. And there was really just more and more disappointment after that. So couldn't win a playoff game, got there once or twice, couldn't win. And so, you know, a lot of disappointment. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough call, but uh, we'll, we'll know soon enough what it is. We'll table Jameis Winston for our next podcast because we've touched on some good stuff here, but uh, I'll throw this out there. I know you're going to love this, Roy. There are two guys out there that could easily replace light and cutter with. How about bring back Rich McKay and Tony Dungy? Now, I'm, I'm sure Dungy doesn't want to coach again, but, boy, that, I think that formula would work. And, that, and you know what? You talk about Gruden kind of spoiling the success of the Bucks after the Super Bowl and a lot of moves they made, and you bring in Bruce Allen, and the whole thing kind of blows up. I thought when Rich McKay left, that's when it really blew up in, in a large part. But I, I just wonder if those two guys, Dungy's lived in Tampa for several years since his retirement. He's obviously in the Hall of Fame, but – that would be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, can you imagine how exciting that would be for this fan base? Those two guys are at the top of my list when I talk about candidates as a president of football operations because I think both of them have the ability. Certainly, certainly Rich McKay does. I think Tony Dungy does as well. I don't I don't think Tony wants to coach anymore. I think he's happy with what he's done there. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, and I also think he's got so much else going on outside of football now that he w- really wouldn't have the time. But um, the, but the reason is, I think they both have a passion for the Buccaneers that other people don't have because they were part of that turnaround. They were yeah. the guys who basically turned it around. It was Rich McKay and Tony Dungy. Those were the last two good hires at the at the executive positions, um, executive level positions that the, that the Glazers made, in my opinion. Um, I thought Dominic was a good call, but, uh, you know, again, it didn't work out on the field. So, um, you know, I, I look, I think those are the two, two guys, I don't know if Rich McKay may want to come back to Tampa and, and finish his career here. Uh, it would be great if he did. I think it'd be tremendous for the organization. 
Um, same with Tony Dungy. I, but I don't know if the I don't know if the Glazers want to go there. And you know, it's interesting. You know, the Glazers definitely inquired about John Gruden last year. Uh, they need to go back in time just on just another year and, <laughs> and, and, and go to Tony Dungy and Rich McKay. And I think if they do it, I think everybody will like the results. You know, I agree with everything you just said. Here's my one caveat. Um, and I think, I think this is a strength for Bucks fans if they want that to happen. Tony Dungy's in the Hall of Fame. You know, Rich McKay and, and, and Tony Dungy both have Super Bowl rings. But in the back of their mind, they know the one thing that's kind of unfinished business for both of them is success with the Bucks. Rich McKay didn't like the way he left. Tony Dungy didn't like the way he left. Both of them have a passion for this community. Both of them really have a lot of respect for the other. And they rebuilt this franchise when it was obviously pathetic. The chance to do that and go out like that, I think that'd be kind of tempting. I, I do. I think it is too. I, I do. Uh, I just I just wonder if it's too far down the road for for yeah. Rich McKay, who's established now in in, in Atlanta for for a long time. Um, but he's had some successes. You know, his last big project was building the Mercedes Benz Dome. Um, he did it, and uh, and now it's done. So um, you know, maybe he's ready to move on. Tony Dungy again. Um, I don't know what his contract with NBC is, but uh, you're right. He's already here. You know, he, he kind of dabbles with the Bucks a little bit as it is. Um, you know, he's out there a lot, uh, certainly in training camp and things like that. I, I think his son uh, has been working with the, uh, you know, worked with the team for a year uh, in the PR department. So uh, I, I think it could happen. I think it could happen, but I think the Glazers would have to swallow a lot of pride and, uh, and basically tell them both, all right, you guys are in charge. Where we stay out, you're in charge. And go do it. I think it would be a no-brainer if they're interested. That to me, it's such a a good marriage from a PR standpoint, from a credibility standpoint, and you know, just to, to get the Buccaneer ship, no pun intended, back on course. Because man, it's been uh, unbelievably bad waters for years now. All right, Justin, man, we've gone way over, but uh, I think we've had some good discussion. What time is it now, though? It's time for the last three and out of the regular season. Yeah, baby. (laughs) All right, three questions, and we are out of here. Roy Cummings doesn't know the questions. Justin Thomas sometimes knows, but he doesn't know this time around. All right, our first question in our three and out, who should be the backup quarterback next year for the Bucs, Ryan Fitzpatrick or Ryan Griffin? Justin. I'm going to go with Ryan Griffin. Uh, I I don't think it's worth keeping – Ryan Fitzpatrick anymore. Uh, I, I want to see what Ryan Griffin could do. I, I, I'm really curious. I think he could be the, a starting QB potentially. So I'd like to see how he is as a backup. Yeah, it was kind of uh, somewhat breaking news this week that Ryan Griffin will be the backup quarterback for the Bucks finale against the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, now we're just assuming Jameis is going to be back, and who knows about that. I think Jameis will be back as a starter next year to have an off season and, you know, just to not have hopefully, hopefully keep our fingers crossed any distractions this off season. But Roy, what do you think about the backup? You know, I think it should be Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I, I, I like Ryan Griffin a lot, but I'm my thinking again is that based on the talent that the Buccaneers have right now, you're only a couple of pieces away from being a contender. It's one of the reasons that you have to keep Jameis Winston because if Jameis Winston is your first overall pick, uh, not first overall, but your number one draft pick, rather, um, okay, then then you're passing on a potential right tackle that you might need, which I think is more important at this point. Uh, another cornerback, maybe another safety, maybe another defensive lineman, maybe even a linebacker. I just think there's too many other needs. Um, but because but that's why I, I, I think this team is only a couple of pieces away from being a contender. Uh, you can get those in the draft, I believe, maybe maybe free agency. I'm a bigger fan of the draft, but that's why uh, I would want Ryan Fitzpatrick because I think if, if James Winston goes down, um, assuming he's here, uh, you want somebody who can step in and, and keep you competitive uh, and you know what you're going to get from him. Uh, and I think that's important. I, I don't think the Bucks are that far away, uh, so I would want Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
Unfortunately, I, I feel like, Roy, I know what I'm going to get with Fitzmagic, though. He's the ultimate tease. He, he gets me going, and then he lets me down. I, and, that's and I what like I was going to say. You don't, you don't know which Fitzpatrick's going to show up. Is it Fitzmagic or Fitztragic? That's a good point, but but I think you do know what his strengths and weaknesses are. You know that he can, he should be able to keep you competitive. Um, you know that basically you just have to worry about a couple of things. If you can avoid those issues, uh, you're probably in good shape. You really don't know what you're going to get out of uh, Ryan Griffin because, as Dirk Cutter said on his radio show the other day, the only, the only thing we don't know about Ryan Griffin is how is he when the heat is really on? You know, what is he like in a real situation? You know, is he going to cower in front of the line? He's not used to that. Um, you know, my guess is you probably get the same results from a young quarterback. Uh, my guess is he's not going to be thinking right on his feet as well as a guy who's been at it for 16 years. So um, th- that's the reason I would pick Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, I think there's a reason why Ryan Griffin hasn't played, and it's not because he's not good. Well, he was behind Drew Brees in New Orleans, and then they draft Jameis Winston in Tampa. So he hasn't had opportunities, I think, just because it's been bad timing. He's a free agent. I think there's a lot of teams that would want to have Ryan Griffin, and everybody talks about you know who the Bucks going to pick. Are they going to get a quarterback? I like the fact you have a Ryan Griffin, a guy who's bide his time, has learned under – the Ryan Fitzpatrick's and the Drew Brees's and the Jameis Winston's. I really like having that guy. I think it's a commodity to have him. And you know what? If he ends up being a decent backup, it could be a kind of situation, you know, that Buffalo had years ago where Rob Johnson and Doug Flutie were going back and forth. And they ended up, you know, trading Rob Johnson, I think. And, and you know, actually Jacksonville had that with Brunel. I'm sorry. And they traded him to Buffalo and they got a, a, a good pick out of it. So maybe you groom Griffin. If he's not your guy, enough teams would like him. Maybe at least get a pick out of him moving forward. So I'd like to sign him, keep him as my backup. And I love you, Ryan Fitzpatrick, but uh, I don't know, man. You know, you have a lot of children. Maybe it's time to go off in the pasture and uh, and enjoy them. I'm just saying. That's, that's my opinion. All right. Second question, three and out. All right, guys. I, I don't know about you. I love football, but I'm having a real hard time watching these bowl games. <laughs> I, I just I don't care. I don't care about the Weed Eater Bowl. It's tired. For years, I hated the BCS. Finally, we got four pl- uh, teams, four playoff uh, structure here. What do you want? Do you do you like the system intact? Do you want eight teams in the playoff? Do you want twelve? What do you think, Justin? I like the system intact. I I wouldn't mind expanding it to eight teams into the playoffs. Um, that way, you know, because some teams I think are good enough to be in the top four, and they just for some reason, whether it's a loss, you know, or something else, or just right out. I, I, I would like to see maybe eight teams in instead of just four. But, I mean, for the most part, I'm happy with the way it's structured now. Roy? Um, Nick Saban came out this week uh, basically uh, arguing strongly against an expansion of the system as it is right now. Um, his, his reason being that he's afraid that it will destroy – the bowl system and make all bowl games meaningless. Uh, my my argument against that is the bowl games are already meaningless. <laughs> Unless you, there is not one bowl game that matters. Right. Um, to, unless you care about that team. Right. Okay. Right. If you're a fan of Arkansas, if you're a fan of Utah, which plays today, um, if you're a fan of like, there's a bowl game that I'm a little bit interested in this afternoon. Uh, we're taping this on Saturday. Um, the the, the Florida-Michigan game, because it's SEC versus uh, Big Ten, which I think is a great matchup. Um, let's see if Michigan's really as bad as they were against Ohio State or or that was just a bad day. Is Florida really as good? You know, But, again, so many kids are opting out of bowl games now right. because they're yes. getting ready for the draft that the bowl games don't matter. So I'm in favor of expanding the playoffs. I don't know if 12 is right. But I think eight would be. So I'm, I'm in favor of expanding it because, to me, the bowl games are already meaningless. I've yet to watch one. Um, I don't care about any of them. The, it's interesting. The Florida-Michigan game today at noon is nothing more than an appetizer for the playoff games that follow at 4 and 8.30. So that's what, that's what the college football world is looking at. They're looking at those two games. Those are the games that matter. And then, you know, yeah, New Year's Day, we'll pay some attention to some bowl games. But it's not like the Cotton Bowl matters anymore. It's not like the, the Sugar Bowl matters anymore. It's not like the Rose Bowl really matters anymore. Um, they're not getting the premium matchups 
Uh, it's not going to determine a championship. That's why they don't matter. Because if you're not determining a championship uh, or a final ranking, who cares? Let me tell you something, my friend. I'm about to go on a rant here. <laughs> you know what? That is, You're a smart guy. I think you're the best college football coach of all time. No doubt about it, in my opinion. But that's a stupid statement. You know why? Because if you if you make it eight teams, you solve a few problems. First of all, you don't have... West Virginia getting their tail kicked by Syracuse because, you know what, if that's a playoff game, Will Greer's going to play in that game because he wants to fight for his team and potentially win a national title. It's like March Madness. you got a chance. You have a chance in the tournament. So if you add eight teams, not only do more players play in those games, but more bowls matter. Suddenly maybe the Outback Bowl is relevant other than nobody in Tampa gives a damn about Mississippi State coming to town. All of a sudden, maybe you go on campus for some of these bowl games, and they're just more relevant. That's stupid. The bowl games would matter more if you make eight teams. I'm all for 12, but I think eight's a happy medium. You have the conference champions and then some at-large bids. Finally, we can have these UCF morons shut up, and they can jump in the playoffs and maybe get their ass kicked, and they can go away too. You, you solve a lot of these problems by having eight teams. I don't understand why it takes so long for college football to get it. The BCS was dumb. Ever since we've had four teams in the playoff, less debate because finally it's on the field. It matters. These two team, these four teams go at it. Let's make it eight teams right now, and I think it, it'll get bigger and bigger, but I think eight teams for a long time would matter because I know you're always going to have debate. If it's eight, it's going to be nine or ten on the outside looking in, but eight teams to me is the way to go. Anyway, I'm done. Man, I'm All not right. sure anybody can top that rant. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to turn. I want to change my rant to yours because you nailed it. You are yeah. absolutely on the mark. You no know, offense to UCF, but you know enough already with your national champions. You know what? I want you in an 18 playoffs. So you get your ass kicked. All well, right. Hey, That's what- well, right. But you know what? In an 18 playoff. They would probably get a shot, and we'd get we'd get them to. Uh, okay, you, you think you're all right? You're undefeated. I get it. You think you're in this class? We're going to put you in this class. We'll put you at number whatever. Take the pick. I don't care if it's eight or, or or five or whatever it is. Let them play one of those top teams, and let's see what they've really got. Are they good enough to, to take on an Alabama? Are they good enough to take on a Michigan or an or an Iowa State? Let's see. Let's really see. That's so. I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I think that's where an eight playoff to me. Uh, becomes important and becomes vi- valid because uh, teams like UCF uh, get a shot. And you know what? One loss teams like Michigan, Ohio State, whatever, you know, teams that have lost one game don't necessarily get knocked out of the running because they had one bad Saturday afternoon. Okay, I started off this podcast by saying I don't wish bad on anybody. I'll make one exception. I think it would be the the ultimate irony if UCF had an NCAA investigation and they had to strip their unofficial national championship i'll just leave it at that anyway let's move forward here oh one more thing though nick saban you sounded about as dumb as joe paterno and bobby bowden used to about oh we the system we have is in place well you know what joe pa you would have had a lot more national titles if you would have had a playoff because you probably had some good teams that would have played for those national championships you too bobby because you wouldn't have had to depend on your kickers blowing it back in the 90s those were dumb statements Nick Saban, another dumb statement. All right, stop them now. Okay. Last last one. New Year's Eve's coming up. I got to tell you, man, I love New Year's Eve. I've always been a big fan of New Year's Eve. Um, I love Halloween. I love Thanksgiving. Christmas, you know, to me is just too much in a lot of ways. But, you know, I don't want to be a Scrooge here on the podcast. How do you spend New Year's Eve, guys? Do you, do you go to bed before midnight? Do you like to have a small gathering at your house? Or would you go to just Times Square and be that guy? Which one, Justin? If I had my preference, <laughs> I would be going to bed before. <laughs> oh my goodness! The New Year ring in. Oh, but, uh, I uh, I usually wind up doing whatever my wife wants to do. To me, look, oh. I, I obviously you love it, but to me, it's just another day. I don't care. I'd rather get quality sleep than watching some fireworks. I don't like fireworks. That that fireworks is is maybe the most overrated thing we have in civilization, but that's a whole nother argument. <laughs> you've seen one fireworks show, Roy, you've seen them all. But that's a whole nother argument. You know, 
in the for for if you're new to the podcast, you you don't know that early in the season, I went first on most of these three and out questions. <laughs> Justin got upset because every Justin was always going to say exactly what I said. We're going to finish the year <laughs> with Justin saying exactly what I would. You too, Justin. You nailed it when you said it's just another day. Okay. I I sit at home. I watch movies. I wait for midnight to come. I kiss my wife, who's probably sleeping at the time already. And then I go to bed. It's just another day. I could care less. Um, I get the whole thing about how start over this, that, and the other. But I've never been a guy who... You know, oh, I'm going to start that diet on, uh, you know, right, after New Year's. Right. I'm not that guy. You, you want to do something, start it now, okay? I mean, you know, when I gave up crack cocaine, I, I didn't. Even it, okay? you know? yes. <laughs> this is our best podcast. This is our best podcast ever. Well, because you know, when I stopped driving into the back end of people, you know, on purpose to piss them off because they were, you know, uh, I did it in July, okay? You know. So I don't get no. It's just another day to me, uh, you know. And you know, one of the reasons I think I'm that way, and Mike, you know this, Justin, you may too. I, I've often had to work both yeah. days, yeah. you know. And uh, you know, I mean, look, like like this year, New Year's Eve. What do you think? What do you think the, the people who follow the Bucks are going to be doing on New Year's right. Eve? You know, they're they're probably going to be <laughs> making phone calls to 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 uh, agents trying to find a. Hey, is your uh, is your head coach talking to the Bucks? So uh, th- to me, it's just another day. Not a guy. Not a, not a big fan. Well, in the spirit of you guys hating Bob Seeger and Nickelback and Michael McDonald, and and now New Year's Eve, I, I have to respectfully disagree because New Year's Eve to me, um, I, you know, back in the day, like in high school, I used to love New Year's Eve parties in college, and and trust me, Roy, I'm with you on working. But it just seems like the work is almost done at that point. And I don't know. I just love the what is the what is the New Year's Eve song? To all what is that? Oh, Old Lang Syne. Yeah. Love that, man. Love it. It gets me a little sentimental. And as Bucks fans, it has to get you, you know, kind of sentimental. Next year's gotta be the year, right? It can't be as bad this year, man. It's gonna be good next year. We're gonna finally get a coach. We're gonna get our quarterback in line. And is that's not working for you, is it? <laughs> what if you had a good year in two thousand? I'm trying to go to our target audience here. <laughs> I hear you. Okay. Okay. All right. We respectfully disagree on that, but I, I like to wish you guys both a happy new year. Uh, you're great friends. And I think this may be our best podcast. It's been a lot of fun. We're up on an hour. This is definitely our longest podcast, <laughs> but, uh, Happy New Year to uh, PeterPirate.com Nation. Uh, please subscribe. It's absolutely free. We're going to be bigger and better in 2019. You can count on that. It's going to be an eventful offseason for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, whether it's the coach, the GM, the quarterback, free agency, the draft. We'll have you covered right here on PeterPirates.com. But really like to thank our co-title sponsors, House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company. Great brews, great food, great great service until next time we will see you in 2019 thanks for logging on we appreciate your support here on a few extra bucks